Hi, I'm Pete Price, and I am excited to play an interview I did a while ago with Cliff Richard. He is a legend. He belongs to all of us. We love Cliff, and I want you to enjoy Cliff Richard, one of our very own legends. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go somewhere in the world. <sighs> Who have we got? He's a winemaker, an actor... A Christian. Oh, sorry. And he's the governor of pop still. Still looking every inch a star, Sir Cliff Richard. Hello, Cliff. <laughs> Thank you very much for that very, very nice and flattering introduction, Pete. Thank you. No, you really annoy me because you are looking good. That's what really annoys me. <laughs> Do you know what I did, Cliff? With the new record, I listened to some of your early stuff. Your voice hasn't changed. That quality is still there, which well, is interesting. No, it does, it does change uh, the voice does change and when i listen back to the very early stuff that was way back when i was the shadows and i were doing lessons in love and it was like two years into the career i i didn't have quite the same kind of voice and i guess you know as you get older things do change and you know, the voice gets maybe stronger maybe wider and uh, so but but the main thing is is that i can still do it that's the that's the thing i never thought you know when i was 18 i thought by the time i'm 50 years old i'm going to be over the hill over the crest and out of it and what, it, it hasn't happened, maybe because I've, I've kind of looked after myself quite well, and therefore the vocals have stayed intact. Uh, I haven't damaged them by overdoing anything. And so uh, I still feel I can go into the studio. And I don't know where you recognize it. I am definitely in my comfort zone doing this stuff. Oh. It was a pleasure to <laughs> sing it. I knew the songs, uh, not by heart because I had to have the lyrics, but I knew them all. I'd sung them all at some point along with Elvis when I first started buying the records. So it was a great thrill and pleasure to do it. What I love about these songs is they've all come back again. It's just music that everyone can relate to, 10-year-olds can relate I think to. so. It it's all that stuff in that early rock and roll, along with the aggression that was there with the drums and stuff, there was always this melodic approach to it. And you mentioned Wake Up Little Susie, but duetting with me on that. You know, if Don and Phil Evely did it. Don sang the part that I sang, or rather I sang the part that Don sang, and Vince Gill sang the part that Phil Evely sang. Now, Vince Gill is like royalty in Nashville. He's like top dog in the country scene and well-loved, and, and, and he just agreed to come and sing it. I mean, he was such a fantastic man. Mm. And apparently, he's a brilliant guitarist. We didn't use him as a guitarist. I just needed someone to sing the, the notes above me, and he came in and just sang it easily. We took about, I don't know, 45 minutes. He just came and sang it. Brilliant guy, absolutely brilliant. So it was a thrill to work with someone that was so, so big in, in the country scene. I haven't got you on for long, which is sad, because I was going to actually ask you to name every one of your albums. <laughs> <laughs> I, how long's the show? <laughs> I bet you couldn't. I bet, I bet, I bet actually, you I couldn't. couldn't. No. I couldn't, no, because, you know, this, the 100th album, is, it includes uh, film soundtracks, uh, musicals that I did on stage, which was, was the pantomimes and also the Heathcliff and Time. Um, it, it includes live stage performances I've done around the world, uh, compilation albums. So it's yeah, everything. Yeah. I, there's no way yeah. I would ever remember um, the, 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 which, which album was what. I've got to mention this because uh, it, this is quite unique, and I, I don't know if you realise this, but you mentioned Heathcliff. I have to mention it because, to me, it still stays with me. I can remember every moment of it, and it was exciting. But what makes me laugh about Heathcliff, and I go to the theatre regularly, and I've seen every major show, 
your show was the only one that everybody was watching you. When you weren't acting or singing, they were watching you on The Rock. Nobody else. It was, <laughs> it was weird. Well, do you know what? I found that one of the most satisfying things I've ever done, uh, to, to be on stage like that, I, I said to... You met Roger Bruce, my PA. Mm-hmm. I went, after the first night, I said to him, I feel like I'm suffering amnesia because I can't remember being Cliff Richard for the last two and a half hours. And, and Heathcliff was a really demanding role. I had to be something that's, that's not true of me, but I love doing it. I like beating up my stepbrother to pulp. I love kicking my pregnant wife. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was great. Well, I talked to dinner afterwards, by the way. Um, but it was, it was great to do it. And... Um, It was just, you had to concentrate because you knew, I knew particularly, and I didn't have an understudy because we realized that people were coming to see me in the show. And if we had done it any longer, I would have to have had an understudy. But at that stage, I didn't need an understudy. Mm. And so um, it was just a matter of concentrating. And even when I had my back to the audience, I could not drop out of character. When I did that show called Time, it was a fun sort of show. Yeah. So sometimes when my back was to the audience, I was pulling faces and trying to make the other actors laugh. And as they were doing it to me, of course, when I was facing front. So with Heathcliff, it was quite a different and unusual animal. And for that reason, I felt that I, I rose, became Heathcliff for those right. periods each night. Cliff, you've been very vocal over the years, which is fantastic because you're passionate about the music industry. You've been vocal about radio stations. You've been vocal about the industry. When have been the good times and when have been the dark times in the industry? Well, there's never really any. There's never really a dark time. I, I, I just think that I'm right in blaming or putting some of the blame. Our industry is at death's door. You know, from a multi, multi, multi-billion-dollar um, industry. It's now not that anymore. You know, I, you, know it, you can be number one in Britain and, and sell 35,000 copies. Well, not even copies. Most of those probably are downloads. When, when The Shadows and I and The Beatles and The Stones and Elton and Tina Turner, all those names that people know, when we were selling our records, we were selling sometimes up to 100,000 copies a day. A day. So, uh, yes, in terms of big, successful times... Um, it would have been the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and a bit of the 90s. Mm. And then something happened. And, and I think radio has to take, not all the radio. I mean, look, there, there are certain stations that remain true to the music and play all of us at all the time, new and old. But there are a lot of stations that just don't play people of a certain age. And, and I think they have to take some of the blame for the reason why people don't even know that I have a record out now. If it wasn't for you people like you, Peter, yeah. unfortunately there are others like you that let your audience know that, yes, Clifford is not only alive, he's still reeling and doing albums. So um, we trust and rely on you. <laughs> but that's, I, I, yeah, I don't mind saying that because I feel it's true. But I, you can't force people to play your records. So I've come to terms with that. Mm. And I can still have a career. I can still do the thing I like doing most, which is record. Because if I do the right thing, then I can sell records and make enough money to make the next album. Many, many people in the industry sadly take drugs, and a lot of people say their music is through the drugs. Is your drug touring? Uh, I would. I don't know whether it would be a drug touring because touring is not. Touring is really fantastic when all is going well, but back of your mind when you start a tour was, oh, 
I hope my voice survives this. I hope I can sing as well every night. And there were a couple of nights where I found it more difficult. You know, you wake up with a little tickle or something. And that's always this, that's the stress in our business. It's not the press. It's the stress of wondering whether you're going to wake up able to give what the public want and do it good, do it well. And uh, so, uh, this year, the tour was, I survived the tour and it was fine. But that's the, that's the pressure of it. So I don't find that a drug. To me, I think the drug is just being able to still do something like this. Just the fact that he, when, even though you try to have perfection come your way, I guess it's never going to, but you can constantly aim at it. That's, I think it's the, the perfection of it that, that is the drug. People that aren't in the industry, anybody listening now that aren't, can you explain that magic on stage when you get that applause after working for a couple of hours? It's, uh, it's difficult to explain exactly how it feels, but it's, it's like the best birthday present or the, the greatest group of people you've ever been with, uh, and they're all paying a an honor to you. It's, it's really hard to understand that because... It's, and you never get, I never get used to it. The fact that you come on stage and you wonder, what's it going to be like tonight? You know, will there be a non-committed audience? Uh, you know, will, will I win them over somehow? And, and, and at the end, of course, when you get to that, the last stages of the show, that's when you really start to feel it. Yeah, of course, there are certain songs, for instance, that the public want you to do and I do them. I still sing Summer Holiday. I still sing The Young Ones. I still sing Living Doll. And they do get this very special roar of approval. But the best one is when you get to the end and that the people come rushing to the front or they stand up where they are and you think, oh my God, what are I... How, how did this happen to me? I mean, it doesn't seem possible to me. Because when I look back at my career, when I look back and listen to how I sounded, I... I don't know that I sounded that good. When I look back at old clips of me on Jack Good's Oh Boy show and I'm standing next to Marty Wilde, Marty looks really cool and I look like a greasy slob. I'm thinking, <laughs> how the heck did this happen to me? So with all of that, it's hard to explain that when that roar of applause and, and, uh, and commitment comes to you, it's impossible to explain how it, it feels because you, I, I never thought it would happen and then I never thought it would last. I love the way you say greasy slob. I was in London recently and went past a little coffee shop in Soho and I always think of you and I certainly didn't think of you as a greasy slob. You were an incredibly attractive young man that uh, turned on an awful lot of people, an awful lot of people. So don't ever call yourself a greasy slob again, ever. Otherwise you'll, okay, you'll get a slap with a wet lettuce. Looking back on your career, have you had good press, do you think? Have they ever, has there been a section in your life where they've really been cruel to you? I think, on the whole, I think it's probably 60-40 in my favor. Uh, it's, it's, it's true to say that, really, you only remember the bad things. But I think, quite a lot of the time, I think they've been fair and, and, and fun, and, and they've been good. I don't understand why they have to make up stories, though. I mean, I think mm -hmm. if you want to talk to someone, whatever they have to say, if they're famous, will be of interest to your readers. It, it, you don't have to make up something that's untrue. Uh, and so that's the only time when I've felt that it's been dealt with badly. I, I don't like it when they start talking about the history of pop rock and stop at the Beatles. You know, we, whether they like it or not, Marty Wilde, Billy Fury, me, the Shadows, we kicked things off outside America. We kind of, in the rest of the world, there wasn't anything. Um, America's going to always be the fatherland of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. But... You know, we were a little group that got it kicked off in England and it spread to Europe and Australia and Southeast Asia and all those places. So uh, when, they, when the pundits start talking and they don't mention us, I always think, oh, well, 
I quote I quote John Lennon quite often because when people say, "Oh, you know, you know, what, what did you do?" I say, "Well, you know, John Lennon actually said that before Cliff and Move It, there wasn't anything." <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I love flinging that in their faces. Mm-hmm. From John Lennon, I, I'll, I'll, I'm so grateful that he actually said that about oh. me. So I, I can actually use it, not as something I would say about myself, but if someone else says it, I don't mind quoting it. So Cliff Richard, thank you very much indeed. Hi, it's Pete Price, and I hope you enjoyed my podcast this week. Have you ever thought of subscribing? Because you know it costs you nothing at all, and why not be part of our family? And we've got over 90 backlogged interviews. Join me, it's Pete Price.